Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com. It's Tuesday, January 18th. This is The Gateway. I'm Wayne Pratt. When is rural, rural? The federal government has dozens of definitions, and sometimes very small towns get shut out of the grant programs. One size doesn't fit all is true, but at the same time, why can't we make sure the systems are working everywhere? In just a few minutes, St. Louis Public Radio's Jonathan All reports on the definition of rural. Many school districts in the St. Louis area planned to recommend masks instead of requiring them starting today. But as St. Louis Public Radio's Kate Grumke reports, several have reversed course as they continue to fight the spread of COVID-19. At least eight school districts were planning a move to optional masks, including Rockwood, Kirkwood, Parkway, and Melville. But as cases of COVID-19 rose sharply, the districts all decided now is not the time. The Rockwood School District has had 400 more cases in the past three weeks than it had all fall, according to Interim Superintendent Tim Ricker. As we started to see those numbers come up, when we came back on the third, our administrative team had already had a conversation about what if, what if those numbers uh, are high, what if those numbers go above the 2% level, the 4% level and beyond. Most of the districts have set thresholds for positive cases. If the numbers fall below that level, they could drop mask requirements. I'm Kate Grumke. St. Louis Public Radio. St. Louis area health officials are struggling to convince parents to vaccinate their young children against coronavirus. Children aged 5 to 11 became eligible for the vaccine in early November, but only 13 percent of them in Missouri are fully vaccinated. Clayton Maxfield is pharmacy manager at Lemonade Pharmacy. That's in Shrewsbury. He says many parents are hesitant to make sure their young children get the shots. They are also swayed by reports of mild cases of COVID-19. Children without any health conditions aren't as affected as adversely from COVID, so they don't see a big of a need to get their children vaccinated right away. Doctors say unvaccinated children are helping to transmit the disease in their households, which could put other people at risk. A task force created by Governor Mike Parson is recommending several steps that could help small businesses recover from the pandemic. Its final report was issued yesterday. Those recommendations include improving child care availability and affordability, expanding hospitality industry apprenticeships, and promoting and enhancing existing state programs that support small, women, and minority-owned businesses. The group worked with the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis to analyze the impact of the pandemic on Missouri's small businesses. Environmental groups in Illinois are again pushing for legislation that would ban the incineration of toxic chemicals known as PFAS. St. Louis Public Radio's Eric Schmidt reports Governor J.B. Pritzker vetoed a nearly identical bill last year. Pritzker rejected the legislation despite it clearing both the House and Senate with zero opposition. The governor said he disagreed with the bill's definition of incineration, which included methods that some PFAS manufacturers in the state say would limit their ability to control pollution. Sonia Lunder is Sierra Club's senior toxics policy advisor and helped formulate the initial bill. There were just a lot of last-minute, behind-the-scenes conversations and attempts to weaken the bill, um, and it didn't get through the process in time during the veto session. Lunder says environmental groups are starting fresh this year, but using the same language they already worked out during last year's veto session. She says a ban on burning PFAS is important since it's not clear that incineration can completely break down the toxic chemicals. I'm Eric Schmid, St. Louis Public Radio. 
The family of a man killed when a tornado struck an Amazon warehouse in Edwardsville is suing the company. The legal action claims the retail giant put employees at risk by ignoring severe weather warnings and insisting they work instead of taking shelter. 26-year-old Austin McEwen was one of six people who died in that warehouse last month. The federal government has dozens of programs touted as helping rural America. But parts of the country that count as rural can vary wildly. The USDA has more than a dozen definitions. St. Louis Public Radio's Jonathan All reports that can leave some very small towns out of the process. Houston, Missouri, in the Ozarks, not far from the Arkansas border, is a town of about 2,500, with a claim to fame being the hometown of famous clown Emmett Kelly and an annual festival named in his memory. Houston struggles with infrastructure, and city administrator Scott Avery was looking for ways to bring high-speed internet to town. There's a federal grant that I was looking at with the broadband. There's, there's a ton of federal grants. One of them def- defines rural as more than 100 miles from a metro area. Well, I'm less than 100 air miles from Springfield, so I don't qualify. Springfield is an hour and 40-minute drive from Houston on two-lane roads. But for that grant, this small town, which prides itself on country life, isn't rural enough. About an hour north in Rolla, it's a different story. I'm on the pedestrian overpass above Interstate 44 at one of the four exits into Rolla. Right ahead of me is Phelps Health. It's a big hospital with its own cancer center. Off to the left, Missouri S&T. It's a high-tech research institution with 6,000 students. But this town of 20,000, it's more than 100 miles away from Springfield and St. Louis. So according to that broadband grant, this is rural. When I look at the city of Rolla, I don't think it meets the definition, any of the definitions of rural. Lou Magnitz is the mayor of Rolla. He spends a lot of time telling people about Rolla's amenities, its airport, numerous manufacturing plants, and high-tech sector. And while his city didn't apply for that particular broadband grant that Houston was shut out of, Magnets doesn't shy away from grants intended to help small towns. If a grant come down and it was tied to rural, I would probably self-justify it and by saying, you know, look, the Rolla and its periphery probably could meet that definition. The definition of rural can take into account population, density, distance from a big city, and even the percentage of people that travel into a metro area to work. But there's no standardization, and that's what has some towns and counties frustrated. Having all those definitions isn't all bad, according to some rural advocates. Bonnie Priggy is the executive director of the Merrimack Regional Planning Commission, which works with eight rural counties. She says the multiple definitions can be frustrating, but if there was only one, some places would be cut out of all of them. You know, right now, with the different definitions, there might be other grants that we could look at that they could qualify for. And if we had one single definition, then there may not be a grant to address that issue. That's cold comfort for Houston's Scott Avery. While he does apply for and sometimes gets grants targeted for rural America, he and his staff of two don't have enough time to chase after opportunities, only to find his small town isn't rural enough. When we're looking at these communities and and we're comparing them, One size doesn't fit all is true, but at the same time, why can't we make sure the systems are working everywhere? One of the solutions Avery advocates for is a more bottom-up approach to helping rural areas. Instead of the federal government creating big programs and defining what is rural, communities can be the ones who decide who they are and what they need and communicate that up. That's the approach Ann Morrison-Smith takes. 
She works for the Missouri Department of Economic Development and says helping rural areas will be easier if they aren't treated like a monolith. We find the fingerprint of each community and how it works and and conducts itself to be so unique to itself. And, uh, And our communities take such pride in that. And the issue of defining rural becomes more prominent as metro areas, including St. Louis, continue to expand. That makes small towns that were once decidedly rural become exur bedroom communities for people who want to be close to the city but still want a rural lifestyle, at least how they define it. In Rala, I'm Jonathan All, St. Louis Public Radio. Our Fred Ehrlich edited that report. Shula Newman is the executive editor of St. Louis Public Radio, a listener-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Music by Ryan McNeely of Adult Fur. Before wrapping up, the Blues retired defenseman Chris Pronger's number 44 last night. Pronger saluted the fans in his speech just before his jersey went to the rafters at Enterprise Center. From booze to cheers, you always showed passion for the game, uh, for my style of play. And I thank you very much for helping mold me into the man that I've become. Pronger played 18 seasons in the National Hockey League, nine of those in St. Louis. He was a four-time All-Star and the league's most valuable player in 1999-2000. His number 44 is the eighth number retired by the Blues organization. I'm Wayne Pratt. This has been The Gateway. Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house.